0: Now, as I'm standing up here thinking about Vision Sunday, I'm just thinking about every pastor around the world who stood up on a stage two years ago and shared this incredible vision for 2020. And it was only a few weeks later where all those visions came tumbling down. And so I want to stand up here and I want to say I don't have A crystal ball that I can look into and hold up some sort of future compelling picture of where we're gonna be this time next year having said that I do believe God is speaking to us as a church And i do believe and we as elders have been speaking about this and praying about this taking steps toward this and we're going to continue walking in the direction that we believe god is leading us and here's the thing i don't know what's happening in 12 months time but god does and if we walk in the direction that he is leading us in we will get there right now this is so important because every single one of us wants to be made into something and for those of us who want to be made into something for some of us it just stops at that i i see a future for me but we don't do anything about it but for those of us who actually start taking big and small steps towards what we want to move towards Usually, there's two major components, and the first is a present pain, and the second part is a preferable future. So, often the present pain is something like, oh, I've got too much corona weight. Or the present pain is something that's going on in my family life or in my marriage. Or the present pain is debt that I need to deal with, or the fact that I want to get fit. And then we've got the preferable future we want to move towards. Maybe that's a debt-free future. Maybe it's a stronger marriage or a stronger relationship with your kids. Maybe it's just generally being healthier and fitter. And as we take tangible steps forward towards this preferable future, we tend to do that with other people at a number of levels. On one hand, we have those who are kind of rock stars in the world of whatever we're wanting to progress in. These are our inspirational and our motivational leaders. You might never meet Steve Jobs. You might never meet some of your heroes, but you look at them to help you move in that direction. But then maybe closer to home, there are some people who you can access who are further down the road than you, who are going to act in a bit of a coaching mentorship role in your life. And you can pick up the phone and you can go have a cup of coffee and you can be moved forward by their experience. And then we're going to have people that we're moving forward with that are going to just be our peers and our cheerleaders. These are people we go to gym with. And, you know, we're just kind of wanting to grow and be motivated together. And so, if we consider this entire process, do you know what that's called? In, in the sort of secular world, we'd call that personal developments. But I want to suggest that it, that entire process is best defined by a Christian word called discipleship. Now, I know that's a Christian word, and it's not going to be a word that gets used outside of kind of churchy, christian environments. But that entire process of moving forward one step at a time with people who are ahead of me, people who are coaching me, people who are moving forward towards a shared goal with me. At some point in your journey, you're going to be further ahead than somebody else, and you're going to be helping them come along and so as we think about Vision 2022, we're going to be talking about discipleship. And let me tell you why we as leaders believe that this is the thing that we believe God wants to move forward in our church. There's been no shortage of sermons and talks and memes and online things, helping us come to terms with all the challenges of COVID-19. There is not a family or a business or a church on planet Earth that has not been negatively impacted in some form or another by COVID-19. Recently, I was listening to a podcast and the guy was speaking to a a pastor in Melbourne, Australia. Some of you may know that Melbourne's, for the most part, has been living under an intense lockdown. For about 18 months, the average person in Melbourne couldn't leave a three-kilometer perimeter from their home. And so they were talking about the state of the church And one of the things that this leader was saying was, listen, we've heard so many people highlight the challenges and the losses. I want to flip that script and I want to ask this question. What is God uniquely doing in this season? Now, at Riverside, we have spoken how God is with us in tough times. Which He is. We've spoken about how God is a comfort to us in our tough times. We've spoken about how God has us and holds us and walks with us. But what if God is simply unlike us? What if God is not just enduring the tough times? What if God is sovereign and powerful enough to be uniquely working good through this difficult season? We, uh, on the one side of our house, we've got this hedge, which is this uncontrollable hedge of ivy. And so we need to prune that a lot. And especially after the kinds of rains we've had over the summer. Some of you are like, what summer? I know. We haven't spent nearly enough time in the pool. But one of the things we had to do this last week was to get the guy who helps us in our garden, take a broom and whack the living daylight out of this hedge. Why? Just because over the years it's accumulated all these dead leaves and dead sticks. And we need to get that out to create space for life and growth. And while I for one second do not pretend to understand all the good things God may be doing in a season such as this. The scriptures say very clearly, his ways are infinitely greater than my ways and understanding. However... One of the global conversations being had by many pastors is the recognition but that one of the good things that God has allowed COVID to do to His church is to shake us. And so you may be saying, Stephen, I thought you said a good thing. Shaking isn't fun, and no, it isn't. But I believe that God in His wisdom and His sovereignty has allowed COVID, just like that hedge needed to be shaken of its dead leaves and dead branches, our churches need to be shaken of our dead religion, of our dead practices, and our dead dependencies. Now the other day, after I got on a left, I could look at a hedge and it had all these beautiful leaves left. Unfortunately, as our church, our global church, has been shaken by COVID, pastors are looking back and not seeing much left. Now, I'm not talking about return rates. I'm not talking about how many bums are back in seats. We're talking about the kinds of fruits that should be evidenced by those who follow Jesus Christ. Now listen, the finger isn't primarily being pointed out there, the finger is being primarily pointed back here. And I'll tell you why. Not only have churches been shaken, but church leaders have been shaken. More church leaders for many different reasons have left the ministry in the last 18 to 24 months than I think ever before. And what we're starting to realize is, if we're not seeing the kinds of fruit that we had hoped to see, something drastic needs to change and so as we think about God working in all things not just the good things but in all things for the good of those who love him and who are called according to his purpose if we think about Genesis chapter 50 verses 20 which says that what was what was intended for evil god intended for good i want to invite you to grab hold of this perspective as god shakes us this is a painful but a good thing and we can either stick our heads in the sand or we can walk in the direction that god wants us to walk in i know a prayer in my heart which if i'm not of focusing just comes up so easily and i know you've asked these questions and i've heard it asked around churches and even here at riverside dozens if not hundreds of times lord when can we go back to normal what if normal was insufficient what if normal needed to be shaken What if normal needs an upgrade? And so we're going to talk about discipleship. And as we do this, I want to start off with a passage that many of you have probably heard dozens, if not hundreds of times to the point of cliche. As we walk through this passage, I'm really hoping that God gives you a fresh vision of all the implications of what he's talking about here. is matthew 28 verses 18 to 20. i'm just going to read it through once and then walk us through the passage matthew 28 verses 18 jesus says all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. These verses have been read many, many times and also recently here at Riverside. But this is what is known as the great commission. That Jesus is on a mission and he invites us to be on Co-mission with him. Look how he starts off. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You see, Jesus came as the eternal Son of God from heaven to planet earth, bringing his kingdom to invade the kingdoms of this world. And through his ministry and his death and his resurrection, he not only showed us what his kingdom is like, he demonstrated that his kingdom is in fact the only one true kingdom. And he defeated the powers of evil and he defeated the power of sin and death, demonstrating that he is in fact king of all when he gave his disciples these words he was about to go back up into heaven and Jesus is saying here's something I don't want you to miss I don't want you to think that now I'm gone my mission is over in fact the thing that I've started this is a baton change and you're going to continue But as we've seen from the end of these verses jesus is saying i will never leave you nor forsake you i in a new way am going to be with you my spirit my power will be in you and through you continuing the kingdom work that jesus started so what does this look like and so he says therefore go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and the son And the Holy Spirit. Therefore, go. I know for many of us, when we hear those words, maybe the first thing that comes up to mind is people who maybe pick up their home and move from Joburg to Syria. I know everyone's moving to Australia and New Zealand, but there are some Christians who are moving to places like Syria and the Ukraine and China and Iran as they go and trust God with doing exactly this. And while we have some Christians in Riverside who may be able to go and influence, for example, Libyan Christians for the sake of the kingdom of God, here's the thing, it's not only about them, because they are places you can go that they can't go. They may be able to influence Libya for the kingdom of God, but you can influence Africa for the kingdom of God. Or Malbating, Glen Vista, Mondior, your workplace, Linasia, Soweto, Jackson's Drifts. God has uniquely positioned you to engage your network of colleagues The guy who's in China and he's learning to share the gospel in Mandarin doesn't know how to speak accounting to your colleagues. Doesn't know how to engage your sphere of influence. So maybe you've heard us say that this idea of go is maybe better translated as in your going. Yes, God will uniquely pick up some of you and move you for the sake of the gospel. But it doesn't mean the rest of us are left without a mission you know i get asked so many times stephen i want to find out what my purpose is now i can't help you with your small p purpose but i can help you with your big p purpose and that is this jesus is speaking to his disciples and if you are a disciple of jesus christ this big p purpose is your purpose to continue in the unique way that you've been made, in the unique places and spaces that God has placed you to spread the gospel of the kingdom of God. Every single one of us is defined as a disciple of Jesus Christ by this being our great B.P. purpose. Now, if we look at how this was done, there's so much that could be said. A year of sermons literally could be said about how we're going to do this. And we'll get there. But as we look at the Gospels and just some of the patterns we see in Scripture, I want to maybe draw your attention to just a couple of big moving parts when it comes to this. And the first one is the come and see approach. When we look at the Gospels, for example, the woman at the well, she encountered Jesus in a beautiful, powerful, saving way. And then she runs into town and says to all of her friends, come and see. This is the power of the invitation. The power of the fact that you have encountered Jesus Christ in a very powerful way. And you go to somebody else saying, come and see. That's the invitation to hear your testimony. That's the invitation to a Sunday meeting such as this. This is the invitation to a life group where they come and see, and we trust that God engages them in that place. But then on the other side, there's go and tell. These are the conversations that happen outside of the four walls of a church or a life group ministry. These are the conversations where you by faith are moving out into another place. You're having a conversation over a cup of coffee with somebody that you've been praying for. You maybe take some of the opportunities that Branchard is providing to go out of your comfort zone and to go and tell and share of the goodness and the power of King Jesus and his kingdom. But I wonder if there's an in-between step And that is a bit of a combo of those and and that is go and see. Maybe some of us need to go and see. Craig alluded to this a number of weeks ago and that is to say, Lord, open my eyes to see the kingdom opportunities before me. Open my eyes to see the fields that are white unto harvests. Open my eyes to see the brokenness in people's lives and they need Jesus. Just let me see these things. Because once we see the need, then it's a small step to come and see or go and tell. Now this verse talks about going. Now he's spoken about that. And then it talks about baptizing people in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So it's assuming that as we go, come and see, go and see, go and tell, there are going to be people who are engaged and eventually trust Jesus and cross the line of faith, and we celebrate that with the physical act of baptism. And what a wonderful moment. So notice that from your perspective, part of being a disciple is come and see, go and tell, go and see. From their perspective, they're doing life and the journey starts with you speaking to them about come and see, go and see, go and tell. As we see Jesus engaging in his ministry, he engaged people where they were at. And he got in a lot of trouble for doing that. Jesus was called a drunkard. Not that he got drunk, not giving anyone permission here. Jesus was called a glutton, a friend of sinners. Why? Because he ate with people that the religious elites of the time didn't eat with. Jesus engaging people at the point of need with his goodness and saving power. So listen, I want to get real about something. If we do this, really do this, over time we're going and seeing, we're starting to see opportunities, our hearts broken. We start the power of the invitation, the power of the testimony, the power of go and tell. And we start seeing people see Jesus and trust Jesus and get saved. Let me ask you this question. What will a church look like where lots of people who are coming from a place of need and brokenness start coming to Jesus. Unashamedly, one of my prayers this week, through the time of prayer and fasting, was this. Lord, I pray for many broken and cynical people to come to faith in Jesus. Broken people, these are problems of the hearts. Problems of life and cynical people, problems of the mind. I can't quite see my way through to trusting God's word, trusting Jesus. What would a church look like if many broken and cynical people started crossing the line of faith and joining this community? Let me tell you what it's going to look like. It's going to get messy. Whoopsie. Why? You see, most of us have this picture of church in our minds. I want a nice church. A nice church with lots of nice people. and That becomes a selling point. Come and see all the nice people in my nice church. Can you hear the sarcasm dripping from my mouth? Now nice people need Jesus too, by the way. But maybe if I can use a metaphor, because I think there's a couple of mistakes that we can make in thinking about God's grace and in thinking about our own lives and also engaging others. You know, a number of years ago, some of you would know my father was in a motorbike accident. It was out right at the doorstep of a township out in the northwest. He almost lost his leg. So there he was lying in the middle of the road, bleeding out. Afraid that literally he was going to be killed or taken, you know, uh, hurt because, you know, I've got a wallet on me or people want the bike. And imagine he was taken to the hospital and the guys at the hospital were like, you've been lying on the road, you're dirty. You're bleeding all over our nice sheets. Just go away, sort yourself out and then come back to us and then we will deal with you. See, doctors and nurses don't do what they do because they want a nice hospital. They want to save lives. And so if we're just trying to preserve nice church, we're missing out on the mission. And if we're going to engage people where they are at, in their lostness and in their brokenness, these are undiscipled people who have a lifetime of transformation ahead of them. We get grace wrong when we're saying we don't want you in our church. Sort yourself out first, then come be part of our nice church. Just look at the cross. Grace is messy. I think... A second mistake we can make when it comes to engaging people and think about people coming to faith, now let's point the fingers back at ourselves. One of the easy mistakes that we can make is, now that I'm saved, I'm all good. Let's go back to the hospital metaphor. You know, this is someone who maybe is in a bike accident and and is unconscious and gets taken to the hospital and the doctors and nurses are doing everything that they can to save this person's life. Now, I've never seen this in real life, but we've seen this on the movies and all these plethora of hospital dramas. where someone wakes up out of their coma, their life has been saved, and they're like, doctors, am I going to live? Yes, you're going to live. And then they just start pulling things out their arms and pipes out their noses, and they try to sign themselves out. You know, my life's been saved. I've got it from here. And so for many of us, our view of Christianity is simply a two-step process. I wasn't a Christian, now I am, now I'm good. My life's been saved, I'm not going to the bad place anymore, now I'm good. But how does Jesus challenge that view of being a Christian? He says this, not only baptizing them, engaging people where they are at, helping them cross the line of faith, but teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded. Stephen, are you, are you kidding me? Are you saying when I hold up my New Testament that Jesus' vision for my life is that I obey everything in this? And the answer is yes. No, Stephen, uh, <laughs> you know, I just wanna to get to heaven. I don't know if I can obey everything that Jesus has commanded me I don't know if I've got enough lifetimes to figure out how to obey everything that Jesus commanded me and that's the point if we are to be a disciple of Jesus that means we've never reached the place of perfection we are always moving towards Jesus even Paul says I haven't made it I haven't achieved all these things I'm still striving. I'm still moving forward. And so being a disciple is not simply the static view of the light is off. Now the light's on. I'm good. I've got it from here. The question is, are you still moving towards Jesus? Disciples are made as we move towards Jesus. And I don't care if you've been a Christian for 50 years. And can speak Greek and Hebrew fluently and memorize the entire New Testament, there is still more of Jesus to know. There is still more of his love to know. There is still more of his power and his word to know and to live out in obedience. Unfortunately, and I know we've spoken about all the very real challenges of COVID. I think what happened for many of us during COVID is that we stopped moving. And if we're honest, I think some of us realize that COVID didn't make us stop moving, but revealed the fact that we had stopped moving years before that. There's a saying in AA, it's it the road organization, Alcoholics Anonymous. If you're not working on your recovery you're working on your relapse in other words there's no neutral gear and what they're trying to say is if you're not intentionally working on your sobriety and your health and if you think you're in a neutral gear you are disillusioned and you are in fact moving backwards And the same is true with regards to our discipleship if you think that you're in neutral gear and maybe you can point to some very real pains and hardships because of covid and i get that but if you are going to stay in that neutral gear you are walking away from jesus that's the hard truth because you know what's happened when you stop actively moving towards Jesus, you simply abdicate discipleship to something or someone else. Some of us are more discipled by algorithms on our phones than by Jesus. And we're starting to allow the kingdoms and the values of this world to disciple us in our so-called neutral gear. You know, we're living in a, in a crazy world, and I'm not going to get there, but Timothy Keller talks about this newfound freedom that so many people want. And he says this, he says, We believe that we can create our own identity through our own free choices. We may think we are being true to ourselves when we shed the constraints of traditional values and morality, but in reality, we are simply allowing a new community to tell us who we are. Are you tracking with me? This is why Eugene Eugene Peterson describes Christianity as a long walk of obedience in the same direction. You know that research shows that amongst all the emotions and hurts and pains experienced by people who are finding themselves in this neutral or regressive gear with regards to their prior faith yes there's a whole lot going on but do you want to know what the number one emotion is the number one emotion is not hate or pain the number one emotion that might be two or three or four the number one emotion is indifference c.s lewis challenges us he says christianity if false is of no importance and if true it's of infinite importance the only thing it cannot be is moderately important guys the reason for my little soapbox this morning is not to guilt you or anybody else simply to start coming back to church as we realized earlier maybe the pre-COVID status quo needs an upgrade it's not simply about a return rates. and so what we as leaders are committed to doing this year is seeing how we can grow and how we think about and implement discipleship here at Riverside so that we can increasingly see fruits that lasts through fruits that grows discipleship that thrives even in difficult seasons that we're going to increasingly see an engagement with Jesus Christ in a genuine powerful way so that we can increasingly see people going and seeing come and see Go and tell. We can increasingly see people moving towards Jesus. We're going to increasingly see mess as people are trying to figure out how do I readjust from my old life now to my new life? And we committed to learning all we can. You know, one of the biggest things that church leaders around the world are figuring out, especially this has been highlighted by COVID, is just how... Churches, despite our best efforts, became places where the primary engagement was one of consuming. I'm here to consume what Steve gives us, what the worship team gives us. And just like we go to a restaurant one day and the food was cold or the waitress was in a bad mood, whatever the case might be, we take our business elsewhere and we consume somewhere else. One of the things that we're committed to doing is figuring out not only because some of us do need to come to Jesus with our need, but how do we move to a place where churches are primarily a place not only of consuming, but primarily a place of equipping. Remember the picture of the hospital, the doctor's not there to have a lacquer jewel. So how do we move us beyond that so that we're disciples, not just a static Christian? And so let me end off by really taking this challenge to you. Do you want to go back to some pre-COVID status quo? Or maybe, do you rather want to see this as an opportunity to go to new levels of owning your faith, putting down deeper roots, and following Jesus? Listen, the Scriptures and history shows us that God can do more with a handful of genuine disciples of Him than a consumers now as you heard me pray earlier I'm not against numbers as long as those numbers represent people genuinely not coming for the meal but engaging Jesus and a pathway of following him are we going for nice Christianity or effective Christianity because how you and I see being a disciple makes all the difference in the world. Now, folks, you're not going to come here next week, Sunday, and suddenly we're like worshiping under the trees because we're abandoning everything and throwing out the baby with the bathwater. We as leaders have been praying and have been studying and are going to continue doing this and just saying, how can we modify and where necessary change what we do? to this end there will always be place for Sunday meetings and gatherings where we celebrate Jesus and we're encouraged by him we're part of the greater body but I hope you know that church isn't limited to 9 30 to 11 on a Sunday morning so we're thinking about everything we do and we want to invite you to trust Jesus in increasing levels that we can increasingly become effective for his name and so to that end i want to pray for us father we thank you that the way you engaged us was by leaving the comforts of heaven you entered our world engaging our points of need and brokenness father you do not expect us to climb the ladder of morality and righteousness and somehow get into the end club of heaven you climbed down the ladder and climbed onto a cross paying for our sin defeating the power of sin and death as you rose again and Jesus the real hope of the gospel is not what I can do for you but what you've done for us And as you give me your power and your righteousness, you invite us to walk with you in this world. I pray for all the decisions that are being challenged and made here this morning. I pray for all the mindsets that are shifting. I pray for some of the many obstacles and excuses that we are throwing up right now. Why, that's too much to ask. Lord, you know where every single one of us is at. But you want to move every single one of us forward. As if I think about these doctors saving people's lives, their goal is not only to save someone's life. But their goal, yes, is to save their life. And together with the goals of their loved ones is that they recover their former strength and go to greater heights. And so let us not simply think about the strength of two years ago. Let us rather walk into the future with Jesus and go to greater heights of what it means to live for His kingdom. But Father, we need the work of Your grace and Your spirits in us and through us. The mystery is, we take steps of faith, but it is Your power that is truly the power at work so we declare our dependency upon us so God grace us as Riverside and that means every single person here and online grace us with your power grace us with transformation grace us with salvation grace us with a messy church of people finding you Grace us with great courage as we become witnesses for your name. And we pray this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.